Brothers and sisters, visitors, those following on live stream, welcome to this afternoon's worship service. It is a great blessing that we may be here to join in worship of our triune God. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and our minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother Ethan So has arrived with attestation from the first evangelical reformed church in Singapore. We welcome this brother into our midst. This week, Friday, the Lord willing, we will meet together in worship to commemorate the death of our dear Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This Good Friday service will commence at 9.30am. All wards are invited to attend. This afternoon's worship service will be led by Brother Jay Dembour. And before we commence, let us sing together from Psalm 116, verse 1. rise to receive the greeting of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Hear God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing now a song of praise to God with Psalm 96 verses 1 two and four.
In order to make confession of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith, this afternoon we will sing hymn two. Ask God for his blessing. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us as the one true holy God, God of gods. We thank you that we could be reminded of that this morning from your word. 
that you are the only God to be worshipped and adored. We are to devote our whole life to you. Thank you that your word also exhorted us to put away those things that we put our trust in instead of you. It's so easy for us to be caught up, Lord, in the things of this world. The rich blessings that you give to us, which we twist and use them only for our own pleasure. Help us to take your word into our lives, to work with it, so that we do fight against and put away those sins, and we do trust in your great and holy name alone. Thank you also, Lord, for the opportunity to have the visible sign and seal of your son's sacrifice for us this morning. That we could be reminded that he offered himself on the cross, that he died for us, and that he was left there, forsaken in our place. And that we could rejoice in that. We could rejoice because we are free. We are now your children once again, able to give you thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord, for the peace and freedom to gather together. Though there are still some restrictions, we can be here again to worship you a second time this day. We thank you for that opportunity too. Thank you for the confessions and the creeds of the church that we can together confess that you are God, that you are the creator, that you also sent your son as saviour. We pray, Lord, that we may listen eagerly to that word again this afternoon, the word of Jesus coming into this world as our saviour. Help us to be open to your word. Help us to be humble, ready to be admonished, to be exhorted and encouraged. Also to be comforted, knowing that your son has saved us. So we pray, Lord, that you will bless our worship, that you will receive our prayers, that you will receive our songs of praise and our gifts, and that our worship is pleasing in your eyes. We pray that you are present in our midst, present in our very hearts with your spirit. Hear us now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. This afternoon I may read a sermon to you written by Reverend R. Breedenhoff, our sister church in Mount Nishura. He's chosen three passages of scripture for his reading to do with Jesus, our Saviour. first one is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. In Matthew, we read chapter 1 from verse 18 through to 25. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Then we turn to of the Acts look at the Acts chapter 4 we begin reading at verse 1 And here we have Peter and John who were speaking to the people. Peter preached his sermon. And then in verse chapter 4, verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The third reading is from the epistle, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 
We pick up in verse 5, Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So far our scripture reading this afternoon, sing in response now from Psalm 61, the verses 1, 2 and 3. afternoon's sermon, the sermon is about God's word as revealed to us in the name Jesus, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed, as explained to us in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 11. Let's read Lord's Day 11 together, page 526 of your book of praise. 
Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Saviour? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else, also believe in the only Saviour, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Saviour Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Saviour, or those who by true faith accept this Saviour must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Brothers and sisters, you probably know that in the Bible our Saviour is known by quite a few different names. Some say well into the hundreds. Just a couple of examples. He is called Emmanuel, God with us, for through him we come into the presence of God. And he is the Alpha and the Omega, for he is the source and purpose of all things in the universe. The names of our Saviour are precious gifts. In them we find strength, hope and comfort. Among the many names of the Son of God, Jesus might be the simplest. Some have called it his personal name, like you and I have personal names, whether Derek or Rachel or something else. The name Jesus is not a title like he is called King, nor it is a job description like he is called the Good Shepherd. Yet Jesus is much more than just a personal name, a convenient label. The name Jesus means something most important about why he came to earth. In scripture, it is so often the case that names are loaded with meaning, especially when it comes to the names of God. God's name reveal his character and ability and purpose. It's also true for the seemingly simple and straightforward name, Jesus. In Lord's Day 11, we see that God gives this name to his son, born in the flesh. And the name Jesus declares what God will do with his only son. Through him, God will save his people. That makes the name of our Saviour a glorious name. The name that must be on our lips and in our hearts. I preach God's word to you on this theme. Jesus is the name which is above every name. We see three points. Jesus is a unique name. Jesus is the only way, and Jesus is our complete salvation. Jesus is a unique name. The heading above Lord's Day 11 tells us that we're now busy learning about God the Son and our redemption. 
You may remember from catechism class that this is the longest section of the Apostles' Creed. We were finished with God the Father in just two Lord's Days, and we'll deal with the Holy Spirit in just three Lord's Days. But on God the Son, we spend a total of nine Lord's Days. This is for a good reason, because Jesus Christ is the beating heart of our faith. His death and resurrection are the sure foundation for our new life. And beginning this section, the catechism does not leave us in suspense. Though we'll be busy with God the Son for several pages, the simple truth of the gospel is stated up front in answer 29, in kernel form. The Son of God saves us from all our sins. This is the central truth to be explained and filled out in the coming Lord's days in all of its beauty. But today we begin simply, what is the name of the Son of God and why does he have this name? Looking at this Lord's Day, you'll notice that the catechism seems to give the answer away. In the question, why is the Son of God called Jesus that is Saviour. Do they want to make it easy on all those catechism students by including the answer so obviously in the question? It's not that. Jesus means Saviour, but there's more to say. Literally, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's a Greek name, but it has an equivalent in a Hebrew name, Joshua. Sort of like how John is the English equivalent of the Dutch young. Jesus and Joshua. This connection alerts us to the fact that Jesus is not an uncommon name. In the Old Testament we see the name Joshua is given to several different persons in Israel's history. And even in the New Testament the Greek name Jesus refers to persons other than the Son of God. There's a couple of examples. Think of Paul's co-worker Jesus, or Justice, who is mentioned in Colossians 4.11. Or there's the false prophet named Bar-Jesus in Acts 13, verse 6. It was a common name. But when humans give names, it means very little for what a child will do with the rest of their life. When God gives a name, however... This makes the name perfectly accurate. For example, when Abram was renamed to Abraham, it meant that he was really going to become the father of many nations. Likewise, when God gives the name Jesus, this reflects the beautiful reality that Jesus, the Lord, is really going to save brings us back to when Christ was conceived in the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. At that time, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and he instructed him to give the child the name Jesus. Again, keep in mind that this wasn't a remarkable name for people to have, but a normal name, like Ethan today or Lauren. Nothing extraordinary, except for the earth-shaking reason the angel then gives to Joseph 
for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21. He will be a saviour. Another person who once had this name, Joshua, son of Nun, was also an instrument in God's hand to deliver God's people. Remember how Joshua brought the people into the promised land and delivered Israel from the Canaanites. In a certain sense, he was a saviour too. But the Joshua, the Jesus, who is born of Mary, is someone far more notable. He will deliver his people from nothing less than the everlasting burden of sin. So when the day comes that Joseph and Mary give the God-appointed name to their new infant, they already know he is a unique person with a special place in God's plan. And it's not hard to be swept up with their excitement as new parents. What a beautiful task is to be given to their child, to be a new Joshua, a great redeemer. Yet their little son... Jesus, and saving his people from sin, will end up crucified and dead. The Catechism doesn't mention the cross here, but it's not far off in the distance. Because it's only through the way of suffering and death that sinners are saved. As Paul says of Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross, Philippians 2. It's the cross which makes the name of Jesus the name above every other. Jesus was uniquely qualified to save us, for he is both God and man. He claimed that he was God, and he also showed it. For he was worshipped, and he did not object. He forgave people from their sins, And he raised people from the dead. He even said that his name was I Am. Just like the name of the Lord God. He claimed to be God and Jesus backed up his claim by calming the seas, opening blind eyes and casting out demons. Jesus is perfectly qualified to save us because he's also a man. One who came in the likeness of men. Philippians 2.7 His humanity was on display in being born of Mary and circumcised on the eighth day and in his growth in wisdom and stature. As a man, he dealt with all the weaknesses of our condition like being tired, hungry and thirsty or being subject to anxiety and temptation. Yet he failed not once in his duty toward God or his neighbour. So, as a true man, as a righteous man, he could die for sinners. Says 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. It's good reason the Catechism says that Jesus is a complete saviour. Question answer 30. He's got all the credentials. He's fully certified to rescue us from death and bring us back to God. Jesus makes us children of the Father, partakers of the divine spirit and citizens 
of heaven. He gives us true happiness, the blessedness of being saved from our sins and being bound for glory. In Jesus, God saves. His exalted name proclaims the great work he came to do. His glorious name announces redemption in every letter. And so let us cling to the name of Jesus in true faith, beloved. Think of the great privilege we have when we use this name, like in our prayers or in our worship. Whenever we ask with faith in Jesus' name, God will hear and answer us. So use his name. Use it gladly. Use it freely. Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, please help me. God, please save me for Jesus' sake. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. The unique name of our Saviour means God can give us all that we need. Secondly, we look at the name of Jesus and Jesus is the only way. So far we've looked especially at the first part of answer 29, the first because. He is called Jesus because he saves us from all our sins. But notice that there's a second because. He is called Jesus because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. It is affirming that the name Jesus is totally exclusive. Essentially, the angel says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he alone will save his people from their sins. The second question in this Lord's Day underlines that Jesus is the only way. And here too, we, we might say that the answer is obvious in the question. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, themselves, or anywhere else, also believe in the only Saviour, Jesus? Seems obvious. If Jesus is the only Saviour, then, of course, those who seek their salvation elsewhere do not believe in him. But the Catechism is being explicit for a reason. It wants to make clear here that no halfway position is possible. Either Jesus is a complete saviour or he is not. And our response will be similarly black and white. Either we find in Jesus all that we need or we do not. And we need to look elsewhere. In Acts 4, Peter preaches this truth in a sermon to the Sanhedrin. He explains what's happening as this new movement sweeps Jerusalem and converts thousands. See how the rulers ask him, by what power or by what name have you done this? They know there's something, there's someone behind all this upheaval. And the climax of Peter's sermon is this very point. 
Salvation is to be found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. It's the last thing Peter says in his address. It's the conclusive declaration. Salvation is in Jesus, or there is no salvation at all. He who was crucified, the stone the builders rejected, is now the capstone. This common man with a common name is the centre and pinnacle of God's salvation work. Many Jews were resisting this message, but Peter is emphatic. There is no other name. In that verse, notice it's the name that Peter emphasised. Jesus doesn't give us a method to follow in our self-improvement or in a formula to recite to make all our troubles go away. Salvation is only by faith in the name of Jesus. We trust in him, who he is, and what he has done as the only ground of our salvation. Despite Peter's words, many continue to reject the name of Jesus. Still today, many scorn the name of Jesus. Some people simply do not see their sin and their urgent and desperate need for deliverance. A surprising number of people still say, I believe that at heart, deep down, people are really good. If mankind is good, then we need no saviour. Others see the immense misery of the world and the ruin of their lives and they become hopeless. How can there be a saviour who is strong enough to deal with all this? Who could ever put right everything that has gone wrong in this world? Some think that this life can have purpose through our personal efforts, through living a virtuous life, maybe by spreading good karma. If you can save yourselves, you create your own meaning and identity. Why would you need Jesus? Dependence on self is as old as mankind. This was the attraction of Satan's lies to Adam. And Eve, if they ate of the fruit, they would be like God. They liked the thought of self-sufficiency and autonomy. And it was still an attractive notion for the Apostle Paul. Remember how he admitted that he had every reason for confidence in the flesh. For his whole life, he had done everything right before the Lord. And it still remains attractive today, for we prefer not to depend on someone else for our security, for our well-being. Easily, but often unknowingly, we fall into self-dependence. It's like the little child who insists on tying their own shoelaces, even though the shoes are on the wrong feet, and his attempt at a knot is a jumbled ball of string. I can do it myself. By nature, we resist help from outside or above. So while we say that we believe in the crucified and risen Jesus, and in him alone, it can be subtle deception that the things we do somehow contribute to our salvation, that all these good things somehow must make us 
a little bit more pleasing to God. We may think of it as something like making a deal with God. If I do all these good things, then God owes me. I'll be busy every day with what's expected of me, doing devotions, raising covenant children, attending consistory, volunteering in the community, giving away money, or being a moral person. If I do all this, how could God not bless me? If I keep up my side of the deal, then he'll keep up his. There's always a temptation to become even a little comfortable and self-secure in our own efforts and good works. So we should read this Lord's Day too in self-examination. Think of the Roman Catholics or Arminians in the first place. But reflect on your own life. Think about these words. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only saviour Jesus. Sounds harsh. Yet it is a real danger. The name of Jesus is often on our lips. We may even boast of him and say that he's our church's one foundation. But do we really, truly rely on grace alone through Jesus Christ? probably heard of the Reformation solas. These are Latin phrases which the reformers used to emphasise the key teachings of scripture. They spoke of sola gratia by grace alone and sola fide by faith alone. But together with these there was another sola that they often declared sola Christi in Christ alone. They repeated it often because they were fighting the Roman Catholic way of salvation through Mary and the saints, or salvation through doing meritorious good works. But the reformers repeated it often because they knew how all of us will try to supplement God's way of salvation. Humans will always be that immature child wanting to do what we have no hope of doing properly. But salvation can be only sola Christi, by Christ alone. As Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. Confessing the name of Jesus means confessing We cannot save ourselves and we cannot find our own way to life. He is the only way to salvation. There is not a second way. There is not a way in combination. There is not a better way. But there is a way. In Christ alone, we have full salvation. Third place we look at. Jesus is our complete salvation. Have you ever pondered what would have happened if Jesus had failed in any way? What if he'd given in just once to temptation? Say one day he got 
overly frustrated at his disciples and he snapped at them. Or he prayed to God one night but his heart wasn't really in it and he just repeated some empty phrases. What then? If Jesus' merit was incomplete, then God's plan of salvation would have failed and our sins would be left on our own account. Yes, if Jesus had failed in any way, then we would be expected to look to saints or to ourselves or some other place. And we already know how futile that kind of search would be. Yet in Jesus we have all that we need. The scriptures and so also then the catechism make it perfectly clear that Jesus did perform his saving work to the fullest extent. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2. He did absolutely everything that was asked of him in order to be the saviour of sinners. So Paul writes in Colossians 2, verse 10, You are complete in him. There is nothing deficient in Jesus or his work, and Christians lack nothing in him. Well, listen to what Hebrews 7.25 says about Jesus as the eternal high priest. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He's able to save us completely, save us fully. The catechism reflects this complete salvation with a three-letter word that it repeats twice. It's a small word, but immensely comforting. He saves us from all our sins. Question answer 29. We must find in him all that is necessary for salvation. Question answer 30. All that is necessary. Our trust, our love and our worship can be reserved for him alone. As we also confess in Article 21 of the Belgic Confession, Therefore we justly say with Paul that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus our Lord. We find comfort in his wounds. We have no need to seek or invent any other kind of way of reconciliation with God. We have only this sacrifice once offered by which believers are perfected for all times. Pretty absolute, isn't it? We know nothing but Christ and him crucified. We count everything as lost next to him. We have no need for any other means. After listening to all of this, do any of us think that we're good at heart? Perhaps not. We know full well that we are sinners deserving of death. Or do any of us depend on ourselves for salvation even a little bit? Maybe deep down we don't. We all know we cannot do it. Do any of us doubt that Jesus can save or think that his sacrifice so long ago 
was not quite enough? Hardly. We are certain that the scriptures are God's word and that what they say about Christ is true. We are complete in him. But do we think and do we live as if we really believe this? Together with the theology that we confess goes the theology that we live. In fact, our confession of faith is worthless if we don't live it out from day to day. So after learning about our great and gracious saviour, what must we do? What remains is our response. The catechism is razor sharp about our responsibility. Those who by true faith accept this saviour must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. There's actually two parts to that, closely related. First, accept this saviour. Believe in him. Acknowledge what he has done for you. And second, find in him all that you need. All that is necessary. Yes, for our lives, what is really necessary? Perhaps we crave security. We like to have a sense of fulfilment. We hope for a purpose. But more than anything, we need peace. Peace with God. And it can only be in Jesus Christ. It needs only to be in him. Because he is big enough, strong enough, gracious enough as our mighty God and faithful saviour. So do we live out this theology? Do we live like miserable sinners who deserved eternal pain but got unlimited grace? Do we daily bow before God's throne and plead on his mercy in Jesus because we know that he is all that we need? And then do we live in the same mercy toward other people, showing patience, grace and forgiveness like our Saviour? Let at the name of Jesus every knee bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess and trust and glorify the name which is above every name, Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Let's sing of our Saviour with the words of hymn 39, verses 1, 2 and 5.
Let's give thanks in prayer. Our gracious Lord, we come humbly before your throne and we confess that we desperately need salvation. We know that we can't do it on our own. We know we need another and there is only one. And it is Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you for the gospel again this afternoon. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life. We thank you that we may rejoice in him. Help us, Lord, to live out of this great doctrine that we understand and know every day. It is so easy for us, Lord, to see how many things we can achieve, to be caught up in the material things of this world, to think ourselves strong. Help us to remain humble, to come before your throne and confess that we are totally dependent on our one saviour, Jesus Christ. Help us to live for him in thankfulness, so in the way we treat one another. He has shown us grace, patience, understanding, forgiveness. Help us to have that love for one another too. To encourage each other in our words and deeds. To support each other on the way. To know that we belong together as your children, redeemed by him, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for your blessing on our church, our church life. We thank you that Reverend Poppy can faithfully open the word to us. We pray that you will bless him in his task, give him wisdom, give him good insight into your word, give him compassion for your people, give him also the courage to speak the truth in love. And we thank you that he may do so. And we pray that you continue to provide for him and his family. We pray for your blessing this coming week as we go about our daily tasks, whether we are on holidays or have to go to work, or we're busy in the home and family. Whatever task you put before us, help us to be faithful, to be diligent, to know that we are working in your kingdom that our lives have a purpose, that we seek the glory of your name. Help us not to chase after the things of this world. And so we pray, Lord, that you renew our hearts by your spirit, so that daily we fight against sin, we fight against pride, we fight against our inclination to trust in anything other than you. And we do come to you with that great name, which is before all other names, Jesus Christ. Hear us in his name. Amen. This afternoon your gifts will be collected for the work of mission in Papua New Guinea. You can give gifts online or at the door on the way out. Let's then stand and sing our praise to our Saviour, hymn 23, verses 1, 2, 5 and 6.
Lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.